What's up, podcast family? It's Pastor Reed. Listen, we recorded this sermon uh, in the Sunday morning service on July 21st, but we had some microphone issues, and as a result, it couldn't get put on the podcast, but I had so many people say, I need part two. Where's part two of God's love language? That we're re-recording the audio just for you, just for the podcast family. Thanks so much for tuning in today. So we are in the middle of this series called God's Love Language, and it's based off a book, The Five Love Languages, uh, somewhat, from Gary Chapman. Gary Chapman wrote this book in the mid-90s, and he talks about couples, specifically married couples, having these different ways that they love each other and they feel love from one another. Uh, The five ways are time, through spending time with your spouse or or your partner, uh, through words of affirmation or words of encouragement, through acts of service, doing something kind for the person that you love, for gift giving. It doesn't have to be a a gift you buy. It could be a handwritten note on a steering wheel. And then through physical touch. So we all feel loved in those five ways, probably one more than the others. And, And we all love in those ways. So the question that we've been asking in this series is what is God's love language? Like, what does he love? How does he love to be loved? And we talked about last week in part one, that God loves our worship. He absolutely loves our worship. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I look at a calendar year, January to December, oftentimes my spiritual life is least vibrant during the summer. I get away from schedule, I get away from routine, I take vacations, and sometimes I take a vacation from too many things, if I'm honest. That's one of the reasons I wanted to do this series in the summer. Let's draw closer to God together right in the middle of that summer slump. The other reason is because we're about to move into a very evangelistic season at Colonial Hill in September and October. Every fall in every church I've been a part of, scores of people will come to church and come to faith. And by the way, if you're looking for the perfect time to bring someone to church, a family or friend, um, that's a great time. If they're far from God, invite them in September or October. Obviously invite them anytime, but those are ideal times based on the series that we'll be doing in those months. But over the next few weeks, I really wanna get closer. I wanna dive deep. And this morning is actually quite deep theologically. So if you like heavy, you're gonna love today. Uh, If you're thinking that's not my thing, you're going to really enjoy next week when we focus on the practical side, which is my personal favorite. I can't wait until next week. But this morning, I really want to go to the deep end of the pool. I want to unpack some scriptures that a lot of Christians live their entire lives never hearing. So a one minute recap from last Sunday, we talked about this idea that we all exchange this worship that is intended for God for something else. Right, this, this love language that God desires, we give it to something else. We substitute it away or we, we put pride in the way or tradition in the way. There's all these different things that we exchange in this not so great exchange. And I made the statement that we all worship something. Put another way, we all have something that is getting our time, our money, our loyalty, our adoration and our calendar. So if it's hunting, you do it a lot. If it's social media, it's rare you don't post multiple times a day, and then you're checking it even more often than that to see how much interaction those posts are receiving. If it's video games, sleep becomes secondary for you. If it's golf, you know the pro by name. Listen, listen, God is okay with you having other loves in your life. God is okay with you having other loves in your life. He's just not okay when we love those things more than we love him. 
And that's why the first of the 10 commandments was don't put anything before me. So if this is true, if if we're all worshiping something, a good question to ask is who was the first worshiper? Who was the first worshiper? And the answer might surprise you. The first worshiper that's recorded in the Bible was Lucifer. Yeah, that Lucifer, a.k.a. Satan. There are three named angels in the Bible. The first is Michael, and he's the prayer angel. In the Bible, Michael is always responding to people's prayers. When we pray, the Bible says angels are released in the heavenlies. In fact, one time Daniel was was praying and fasting for 21 days, and Michael says, I came in response the first time you prayed, but when I came to respond to you, I ended up in a war in the heavenlies. So like there's spiritual stuff going on when we pray. When you call on the name of the Lord, you're actually creating spiritual warfare around you. And Michael's kind of leading that charge, fighting on your behalf. And I don't know if that freaks you out or inspires you, but I I love it. I love that. The second named angel in the Bible is Gabriel. He's the word angel. You probably recognize his name because you know the Christmas story where Gabriel is the one who tells Mary, you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit, even though you've never been with a man. And it's going to be God. The baby will be God. And she's going to give birth to this miraculous child. He's always, Gabriel is always delivering a word or a message from God. And then there's a third archangel named Lucifer. And Lucifer is over worship. What's interesting about this list is all of heaven is represented by these three things. Prayer, the word, and worship. Even in the book of Revelation, it says that when Lucifer or when Satan fell from heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. So those angels are now demons. And I believe the Bible doesn't say this. It's just my opinion. But I believe that one third are prayer angels, one third are word angels, and one third are demons. They fell with Satan. This represents all of heaven. And as a side note, these three things should also represent every church service. Every church service should have prayer, preach the word, and have some worship. Your personal time with God should look like prayer, the word, and worship. Let me say it this way. If you don't know how to have a quiet time with God, try five minutes of prayer, five minutes in the word, and five minutes in worship, and you will have one dynamic time. Trust me on that. All right, let's jump into the text together because I want to study this last one, Lucifer, and it's found in two places in the Old Testament, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. I'm going to pull out some details. Hang with me. I'm going to pull these things out, and it's all going to make sense in the end. Uh, just, just hang with me. <laughs> before I read from Isaiah 14, if you read just before this, it says, this is the, uh, directed to the king of Babylon, This is directed to the king of Babylon. And some people would say, well, then this isn't talking about Lucifer. It's talking about the king of Babylon. Okay, oftentimes in scripture, the Bible directs something towards a person, but refers to the spirit behind it. Let me say that again. Oftentimes in scripture, the Bible directs something toward a person, but refers to the spirit behind it. So let me give you a different example that's more familiar. One time Jesus looked at Peter one of his best friends, one of his disciples, and said, get behind me, Satan, right? Remember that? Okay, he was saying that to Peter, but he was speaking to the spirit that was behind what Peter was doing in that moment. So 
Satan is obviously not Peter and Peter is not Satan, but he's saying that to Peter, but he's referring to the spirit behind what Peter was doing in that moment. And that's what's going on in this passage too. So your Bible says this is directed to the king of Babylon, but you're gonna see pretty quickly here, it's not talking about the king of Babylon. It's talking about Lucifer. You'll see it. Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 12, says, how you have fallen from heaven. So there you go right there. Okay, the king of Babylon did not fall from heaven, but Lucifer did. Morning star, son of the dawn. So some of your translations might even say Satan right there, but he's the morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. So Satan was an angel in heaven who got expelled, and we find this, I find out why as we read on. You said in your heart, listen to this language, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You hear all of those those, um, identifiers, ascend, raise, above, enthroned, heights, tops, most high. Lucifer wanted to exalt himself above God. In Lucifer's heart, he was clearly, clearly resentful. God was getting all the attention. So he just decided one day, I want to be above you. And I point that out to you because that's still his goal. He wants to get all the attention off of God and onto anything else. And then he actually gets your worship because he accomplished his goal. You're no longer worshiping God. And that is why what you worship We've got to be so careful because anytime we redirect our worship off of the only one worthy of worship, we inadvertently help Satan accomplish his goal. You can see this when Satan tempted Jesus. It's found in two gospels in Matthew chapter four and Luke chapter four. Here's Matthew's uh, account of the story. It says, the devil said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Listen to me, listen. It is always Satan's goal to get any and all worship off of God and onto himself. It is always his goal to direct your attention, your passions, your energy, your devotion, your love, your time, your money onto anything other than God. Now, one other verse before we go to Ezekiel, Isaiah 14, 11. Okay, so this is the verse immediately preceding what we just read. Isaiah 14, 11 in the New King James Version says, your pomp is brought down to Sheol, and the sound of your stringed instruments. So in other words, Satan, you're gonna be brought down, you and, notice this, your stringed instruments. What does that mean? Satan has a harp with him? No, 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 no. He is a stringed instrument. Most biblical scholars believe part of Lucifer's being actually was a stringed instrument. Okay, I know that sounds crazy. File that away. We're gonna come back to that in just a second. Okay, look at Ezekiel 28, 12 and 13. Ezekiel 28, 12 and 13 says, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. So again, we're not, we know we're not talking about a person who was in the garden of Eden. Right, Adam, Eve, and Lucifer. So he says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. 
Now we're gonna come back to that. I just want you to file that away in your frontal lobe and in a bit you're gonna see why that's pretty cool. So he's adorned with all of these precious jewels. He is a stringed instrument. Look at the next part of the verse. This is so important to see. Verse 13 continues. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Now you're probably thinking, what in the world is a setting and a mounting? Okay, check out the same verse in the New King James Version, which gives a little bit more meaning. The workmanship of your timbrels, that's cymbals, and pipes, instruments that you blow, were prepared for you on the day you were created. So in other words, not only was Satan's being stringed instruments, and not only was he adorned with jewels, but his being also had timbrels or cymbals and pipes or instruments you blow. Now, if you're listening, you might be a band person and you know this way better than me. Uh, but every instrument falls into one of three categories. You can either pluck it. It's called a string instrument. That's your violins, uh, your banjos, guitars. Even a piano is a stringed instrument. Uh, it has a harp section. It's actually a combination of percussion, so you're hitting it, which triggers the plucking of the strings. Or you have a percussion instrument. That's gonna be your drums, your cymbals, anything you hit to make noise. And then you have what's called a wind instrument. That's your flutes, uh, trumpets, saxophones, anything you blow to make noise. So if you had a symphony orchestra, it's actually separated into a string section, a percussion section, and a wind section. And Lucifer himself possessed all three in his being because he was the worship leader in heaven. Okay, look at verse 14 uh, of the same text. Verse 14 through 17 in Ezekiel 28. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. We read that in Isaiah when he got pride in his heart and he wanted to be above God and sit enthroned and on the mountaintop. It says, through your widespread trade, and that's what Satan did, is he replaced or he traded what belonged to Jesus and he took it for himself. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the Mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth and I made a spectacle of you before kings. What's interesting is, is Jesus talks about this moment in the gospels. The disciples came back to him and said, man, we're fired up because even demons are subject to your name. And Jesus goes, of course they are. Use my name. It's a powerful name. My name's above all other names. And then Jesus said, I was there when it happened. Like I was there, I saw dad do it. Luke 10, 18 says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus saw Ezekiel 28, 14 through 17. I love that. By the way, when God expelled Lucifer, uh, Lucifer from heaven, some people thought it was a fight. It, it wasn't a fight. It was like one moment he was in heaven and the next moment he's gone. Right? Some of you think it was like this two great superpowers duking it out, Superman and General Zod. It's a two-hour movie. No, no, no. If God had a movie about this fight, it would last a millisecond. There were two hits in this fight. One was God hitting Satan, and the other was Satan hitting the earth. I just want you to know how good and great your God is. 
So now, you following me? Now there's a position to be filled. So God still wants those three things to happen. Prayer, the word, and worship. But he has an unemployed cherub and a vacancy on his staff. So the question today is, who is the new worship leader? And I think you already knew. No, it's you and it's me. In fact, do you want to hear something cool? He created us with all three of those types of instruments in our body, in our being. Right here in your throat are two strings. We call them vocal cords. And my wind instruments are when the breath of my lungs pass through those strings and I can sing and worship God. I am a wind instrument. What about percussion? Right here in front of me. These two bad boys right here, giving God praise. Every part of you was designed to worship God. Isn't that awesome? So how should that change my life, Pastor Reed? There, there are three truths you gotta know. And I would love for Colonial Hill Baptist Church to embrace. Here's the first one. Is that God made me from him. God made me from him. In other words, when he made you, he made you from himself. Now, I could actually do a whole teaching on this alone, but if you study the creation account in Genesis chapter one, God did two things. This is very important. I want you to study this on your own time. He created some things and he made some things. He created some things and he made some things. Pastor Reed, what's the difference? Okay, a created thing comes from nothing. He said, let there be light and bam, there's light. Right? It came from nothing. That's the purest definition of the word created. And then what's the definition of made? If that's created, what's made? Made means he took something that already existed and made it from it. So it would be like me giving you a pile of clay and saying, make a vase. So from something, you make something. You didn't create the vase. You made the vase out of clay. Does that make sense? Okay, so in the creation account, you have God doing both. In fact, let me show it to you. Genesis chapter one, verse 11. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation. So he did not say, let there be trees. He looked at the earth and said, hey, earth, produce some trees. Why? Why is that important? Check it out. For everything God made, the reason why he made it, this is so good, you've got to get this. For everything God made, the reason why he made it instead of creating it is he wanted there to be a relationship with that from which it was made. So when he made something from something, it's because he wanted those two to be close, to have relationship with each other. So he said, earth, produce a tree. Tree, you're created from the dirt. You are sustained by the dirt and you're going to return to the dirt one day. So stay close to the dirt, stay close to the dirt, stay close to the dirt. And anytime the tree decides to not be close to the dirt, what happens? It dies. God wanted them to have a relationship. When God created woman, he didn't just say, let there be woman. And Adam woke up and goes, whoa, man. That's how she got her name. <laughs> That's a lame joke, I'm sorry. Uh, no, the Bible says that God took a rib from Adam and said, this is bone on my bone, flesh of my flesh. Why? Because he wanted there to be a relationship between the two, between man and woman. All right, here's the question. Were people created or made? 
they were made. From what? Look at Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make mankind from us, straight from us. In other words, let's take a part of us and put it into mankind and let's make man out of our own image. So every one of us were made from God. Why is that important? Because we came from God. Oh, get this. We're sustained by God and we will return to God. No, read. I read in the Bible where it says we were made from the dust of the earth. Yeah, your body was. Your body's from the dirt, is sustained by the dirt. We all eat stuff that the dirt produces and will return to the dirt. Your body will, but your spirit, not your spirit, your spirit will return to God. It was made by God, sustained by God, will return to God. Your spirit, and that's why it's so important for us to worship him. Isn't that good? I hope that you're getting this as you're listening to the podcast. I'm, <laughs> I'm just over, I'm head over heels about this, this study. It's so, so good. Okay, that sets up point number two. I'm not only made from him, but God made me to be with him too. So the reason I came from him is so there'd be a relationship between the two of us, and that's important because I'm convinced too many people, far too many people, have a formal relationship with God. So somebody would say something like, well, I don't even like you or love you, but, but I'll come to church once a month. I, you know, we'll kind of reconnect 12 times a year, Lord. No, God never intended for you two to have that kind of relationship. In fact, on Judgment Day, we talked about this two weeks ago, um, in a sermon, I want you to listen to it if you haven't already. It's on July 7th called Living for the Longer Peace. But on Judgment Day, Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus says, not everyone who say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles and I will tell them plainly, depart from me, evildoer. I never knew you. And the word knew there is Greek for the word gnosko, which means this intimacy, this closeness with God. Like he wants you to have a closeness with him. He doesn't want you just to do things for him. He wants to have relationship with you. You thought he wanted your attendance. That was nice, but that's not what he wanted. You thought he wanted you to give a little money in the offering plate. Yeah, that's great. Not what he wanted. He wanted you. God never created you to be a religious person. He created you to be in relationship with himself. I want to show it to you in scripture. This is Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And you've heard that quoted at weddings. But the next verse is shocking to me. So he's talking about a husband and a wife. And then he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. <laughs> so God's saying, you see that love relationship over there? They live together every day. They're talking to each other every day. That's what I want with you. I never intended to have a group of people come to church and smile, sing a few songs and see you next week. I want something that's every day and intimate. And I think you need to know when all of this ends one day, you're gonna go to heaven and people have the most warped ideas about what heaven's gonna be like. You think you're gonna be in a choir or something. We're just gonna bow down and we're not gonna look up for 10,000 years because we're in the presence of this holy God. He doesn't want that. He already has that. He's got angels bowing to him right now. There's one angel that has never stopped saying, holy, 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 holy. <laughs> he doesn't need that. He's already got that. 
Well, maybe I'll get a harp and some wings and sit on a cloud all day and play. Nope, the Bible never says that either. You know what's gonna happen? As soon as you get to heaven, you're gonna walk the aisle with Jesus himself and he's gonna call the church his bride. You're going to be wed with Christ. And then when the wedding's over, we're gonna have this reception. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. It's gonna be a par Hey, there's going to be food, chicken McNuggets and chocolate stra- uh, covered strawberries in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Let me show it to you. This is the, the, the text, Revelation 21, 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And some of you men, that kind of freaks you out right now. I don't want to be a bride. It's going to be okay, bub. <laughs> We're all gonna be the bride together. Remember earlier, I told you to keep something right here in the frontal lobe. Okay, let me bring that back right now. Verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So you get the picture in your head? He's got his bride, that's us. He's bringing his bride home to the place he's prepared. Now watch how he adorned the place and see if this sounds familiar to you. Verse 19, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the 10th turquoise, the 11th jacinth, and the 12th amethyst. Remember, that's what Satan was adorned with. God says, Lucifer, if you're gonna misuse them, I'll just give them to my new worship leader and cover their house with them. That's so cool. Listen to me, God God never wanted you to be a Sunday morning Christian. He made you from him to be with him. And here's the third one, God made me to express love to him. From him, with him, to him. All he wants from you is to love him back. In fact, John 4, 23, the last verse I'll share today. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and the truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Listen to that last part of the verse again. What's the Father seeking? Those who are worshipers. Worshipers, it's God's love language. Please stop treating God like he's some distant, faceless, feelingless being that exists on the pages of history and realize he is searching the earth for those hearts who are fully committed to him. And I wanna give you an opportunity, if you're listening on the podcast today, I wanna give you an opportunity to give your heart to Jesus. Because here's the beautiful thing is that That can happen right now, like in the very moment, whether you're listening at work or listening in your car or listening at home, wherever you are, your eternal destination can change in an instant, right now, listening to my voice. And it's nothing that I'm doing, it's what's gonna happen in your heart right now and with your lips right now. In fact, Romans 10, nine says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. So Jesus not only died for our sins, he was buried for our sins, but he rose from the grave for our sins. Then if you do those things, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what my Bible says. 
So if you do those things with me right now, in this moment, you will be saved. You will stand before God one day and he will not say, depart from me, I never knew you. He's gonna say, oh, I know who you are. We had a relationship and it started on this day. And I wanna lead you through that prayer. And so wherever you are, if you're driving, please pull over. Don't close your eyes and pray. (laughs) But I I wanna lead you through this prayer. It's a life-changing, eternity-changing prayer. I wanna lead you through this prayer. And uh, all you have to do is say this with me. Just, I know it's silly. You're in your car or whatever. Just say it out loud. Confess it with your mouth. Believe it in your heart and you will be saved. Say something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to earth to die for me, for all of my sins, that you were buried and that you rose again on the third day. You beat death, you beat hell, and you give me the power to do the same by putting my faith in you. I give my whole heart to you. I give my life to you. Help me lead it. Be in the driver's seat of my life. I'm giving you control. Forgive me of all my sins, past, present, and future. And help me to look more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, and I know I don't have a whole room full of people right now to clap for you, but can I just clap for you? That is awesome. If you just made that decision... I'm so proud of you. I would love for you to to text me. Actually, you can text this number. I'm gonna give you a number and take out your cell phone. And even if you're listening to this way beyond July 2019, I want you to text me. Text this number, text the the number 325-221-3001. I'm gonna give it to you one more time. 325-221-3001. And you gotta text one word. It's the word saved, S-A-V-E-D. Just text the word saved to that number and then it's gonna send you a text back and it's gonna ask you three questions, your name, your email address, and your phone number. And here's what I'd love to do is I'd love to resource you and give you some next steps uh, in your new relationship with Jesus. I'm so proud of you. I love it. I love you. And uh, I hope that I get to talk to you really soon about your awesome decision. God bless you.